You are listening to season three of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Welcome to the Week Pastor Podcast, season three. Thank you so much for joining us on this brand new season. I'm super excited about engaging with you guys on a weekly basis, talking about different topics that's going on in the world, but also looking at Christian faith through the lens of vulnerability. That's what we're about. So, Sua, thank you. It's so good to see you. I haven't talked to you at all since the summer. And you look really, you look really good. Very tan. You look borderline Filipino. So tan. Um, that, you know what? I get that a lot. Uh, even when I'm not tan, I get that a lot. Um, when I used to work really? in the hospitals, the Filipino nurses used to always talk to me and like in Tagalog. And I'm like, I am not Filipino, but I look very, very Filipino. That's what I get usually. But now I am extremely, okay. I'm like three shades darker than the last podcast. Yes. We did. Yes, I, you oh, are. I screamed. I mean, please tell the people that I really screamed she, when I first you saw really myself screamed on the screen. Because I'm, I'm, I'm usually very tan. Yeah. You know, I did a yeah. bike ride outside, you know, I went fishing last week. And I'm pretty tan, but Sue, yeah. you are probably. No, I am darker. I am darker than you right darker now. Darker than me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I don't are, know what's going on. I, and I wear so much sunscreen. I, I'm just not sure well, what's going well, on. I mean, I, I told you before, I think it's because of the pool. You have a pool in your backyard. So I'm sure you and your family going out and you're getting a lot of sun out there. Yeah. I mean, that's what it, you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's the melanins overtaking everyone right now in our family. Every time somebody sees our family, like my children, my husband, me, yeah. after they haven't seen us for long, like and for a long time, their immediate reaction is, why are you so tan? <laughs> like, we're just so tan. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a dark skinned Korean. We're preparing with, we're overcompensating for the gray, cloudy six months of doom and gloom mm. winter that's coming up in Columbus, Ohio. You know, we don't get like much sun sometimes. So I have this um, heat lamp. Not it's not a heat lamp. It's a it's a what is it called? Like a vitamin D lamp, sun lamp. Is that really? what they're called? I have a sun lamp. Okay. Not for me. It's for my lemon tree. <laughs> but sometimes when I'm feeling very sad. I'll just sit under it for 10 minutes with the lemon oh tree. Oh the lemon goodness. tree and I will bask in vitamin D. And, and and I gotta tell our audience. I mean, this is the you're the first woman I've ever seen with this. I've never seen a woman with an Apple Ultra watch. Okay, can we and, not? Why do we have to kick off our episode with material? Well, I just, I, I mean, it's it's things. massive. It's massive on your tiny little wrist. So I just, it is, I'm it thinking, is massive. I'm like, oh, it, yeah. Um, so anytime you want to do a, you want to switch with me, feel free because I have the the Series Eight. So you I would know, I be didn't more than happy to switch with. You. So, um, I mean, not that this is it's neither here nor there but basically i was forced to upgrade my watch by my husband who likes the latest Why? and best of everything he had some apple uh, no, it's a credit. great watch no so he had some apple store credit mm. um and he yeah. wanted to use it and he had nothing else he wanted to buy and i had i could i had two previous watches that i could have traded in so basically i got it for like half the price oh my gosh um, really yeah because i had so much credit and like we had yeah. credit on yeah. apple but um you know what? I really like big watches. I know that sounds really strange, but my watches but have it's really, always been humongous. It's, I, really yeah, it's the size of my wrist. It's basically I mean, the size I mean, of my wrist. It, it, yes. I mean, it, it, it's big. No, no, it's bigger than your wrist. I mean, it's, no. oh, oh you mean the, the, yeah, it's big. Anyways, it's big. So it's, it's like pretty it. cool. It's, it's just staring it's like at a three day battery life, PP. It's amazing. Yeah. That's why I should have gotten it because I, mm -hmm. I got the Series 8 and I regret not getting the. What uh, do you use your. Ultra. But I feel like it's not good for people like you. Yes, I'm calling you guys people like you. Like, I feel like it's not good for people like you to have an Apple Watch because you just are so distracted all the time. Um, no, it's I love my Apple like, Watch. You know, because like for me, sometimes I have to say when I'm talking to my friend, like if I'm eating lunch with a friend or something like that, I mm. feel like very I don't I don't like it when it keeps dinging because oh, I'm trying oh, to when focus. You, when you get the buzzes yeah, like I'm those, trying to focus yeah, on yeah, 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 the yeah, conversation, yeah. but it keeps yeah. dinging me, saying like, you know, I don't know, like you know what I mean. It's, so I feel like if somebody's it's, it's already prone it's okay. to getting distracted, isn't that kind of I, even I, worse for you? Does you mean somebody with ADHD? Is that what you're trying to say? easily distractible it people doesn't, it doesn't the category help, of easily distracted usually people. when i'm talking to some people I, I just ignore it i just ignore i don't even i don't but that's what i'm saying i feel like it would be hard to ignore it if you're somebody who is kind of like no like oh, yeah oh, no, like, no who's it's, texting it's not, it's like, not that what's hard going on? no oh, okay no okay. i mean it's not that hard for me yeah because okay. I, I turn my phone off when i go to bed i just don't want anyone to contact me so i don't really care you know i'll get back to them when i can that's kind of my mentality but Again, anyway this is also okay. neither here nor there but can i say something really interesting it's not yeah. very interesting but and by the way you have the the band that i want too so that watch don't get this band. Wanna... it's not waterproof it... it's very annoying so 
Every time okay. I do the dishes, it gets soaking wet oh, and then I have to take okay. it off. Okay, okay. But anyways, All right. the reason why I got a watch was because um, sometimes I go for runs or go for walks and I don't want to take my yeah. phone. But then I have yeah. this anxiety that the school is going to call me with an emergency yeah. for one of my yeah, children and I won't yeah, be yeah, able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was thinking about this, right? When I was growing up, we did not have cell phones, okay? So yep. if my mom decided to go hiking with her friends for three hours yeah. and I broke my ankle yep. at school and my dad also was unavailable, like they just had to sit there and wait for somebody to come pick yeah. me up. Like there was no right, such thing right. as immediate you know, yeah. picking up or immediate like emergencies. And I just think it's so wild to think about how for most of human history, people were not always immediately accessible. Yes. But in the past, like 20, 30 years, it's become the standard that everyone needs to always be near a phone at all times. Everyone we're needs super to be reachable spoiled. at all times. Yeah. And we, I, I freak out like, oh my gosh, like what will happen if the school yeah. calls me and I won't be able to pick up in 30 minutes that I'm out for a walk? I mean, what's the big deal? You know, like we big live deal. our lives big mostly yep. this way. And it's this recent yeah. phenomenon that we're freaking out about 30 minutes of being inaccessible. That's all I would say. But... All I would say is that, but that watch that you have on, the microphone is amazing on that. So if you just have it on speaker and you talk, I hear people like to say it's, it's as if you had the phone and you had it right to your ear. That's how good the microphone is on that watch. Oh, really? So that's, 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 that's what I've heard. Yep. That's whatever. That's why it's the ultra. It's the ultra. Anyways. But anyway, uh, we got to get to our opening question because I think our audience would like to know how was your summer? So sure. I think the best way for us to do this is share a highlight, mm. like one or two, like real great, like highlight highlights. Like this was an excellent thing that happened in the summer. And then maybe share one or two, like, low low like struggles or things that happened that you wish didn't happen or you regret or things like that so i thought it would be good to just be honest maybe a little vulnerable about that if we can um that we can just kind of answer those two questions so is that cool yeah that's i don't know if i can All answer right. it but it's it's let's cool go, girl because uh, let's go why what, don't you go first why don't i go first okay so a couple of highlights for me i would say well you know what can i start with the low the yeah. low stuff because I, I like to you do, make I like the rules you the you do however <laughs> I, I just want to get that out of the way so i got a few i got a few okay so i will say there is one that is you know just it, it was accidental but the second one was was pretty bad it was pretty bad so and i gotta confess it and i feel bad all right so it's okay I'll, I'll start with the the one that isn't as, as bad uh that was just accidental so i rode my bike uh you know to niagara falls this year uh, for the Zamelli thing. Thank you, Sua, for supporting us. You're awesome. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. It was the hardest. The bike ride was killer. It was so, it rained four of the six days. I, why I mean, does it, was it just always brutal. rain when you guys do this? It bike was ride? brutal. It was cold. I mean, it was just, it was, it was awful. It was awful. And every day we did about like 85 to about 95 miles every day. I mean, it was just brutal. It's just the, the mileage. By the time at the end, like, you, you know, you say we got five, like the thing says we got five miles left and it just feels like it's never going to end. Like you're just going to keep riding. You're going to keep riding. But the thing that did happen on that ride, it was on day three. Um, It was raining and it stopped raining, but then we were riding and then there was like this, we we're on a bike path. So it, everything was good, but there was a real like steep hill and it had a real sharp turn to it. And so I was the last one out of the group that was riding and I was going, I love going fast on a downhill and, and it's a bike path. So you would feel like it's okay. It's like, you know, you don't have to worry about cars or people. But then there was a guy who was walking right Ooh. directly on my path. Oh, and when no. I saw him, if I didn't move, I would hit him at about 20 miles an oh, hour. No. So I, I veered off to the right, to the, to the, to the grassy area. And because it rained, it was so slippery. I felt. I felt, and I just brought a brand new bike. And so I remember just falling. I'm like, oh my God, it's the first my time bicycle? I bicycle. My bicycle—it's an expensive bike, and I'm thinking. And then I pull, and I pull it up, and the and like the like it's oh, bent. No. I'm like, oh my god, this thing oh, is broken. No. I was like, I was so bummed oh, out about. No. it. Luckily, the guy, you know, he yelled at the other uh, of the other riders, saying, "Hey, come back, come back." He fell and stuff like that, and they were able to fix it really quick. And there was no real issues with the bike. Thankfully, it just you know the brakes got all bented in. The, the handlebars were like, you know, like, like out of sync. And so they just fixed it. Also, that. I love where your priority is in this split second. Like, instead of being like, my body's going to be all broken. It's like, my new Who bicycle? cares about my body? Body can get fixed. I care about this bike. I just bought a brand new bike. And you I cannot, not on, the, not on the first year I go on a Zamella ride, do I mess no, this thing I up. Mean, you're Thankfully, I slid on the grass. If I, if I fell on concrete, my bike would have been destroyed. So I'm like so grateful for that grass. I'm like so thankful to God. Like, thank you that the grass was wet. 
so it was soft. The story the seems that... really off to me. Something about it is not quite like right. Well, okay, but here's the bad thing. So that that in the bite, you fall, right? It happens. But I I hit my head on the ground, and so you know you know I got a really hard head. I got a really hard head. So I just it was fine. I was like, ah, no, I'm fine. I'm cool with it. Like no problem. My, my head's fine. You know, I fell on grass. It's like it was wet. You know, and stuff like that. I should be fine. So I I, I ride, and for about ninety minutes, I'm like totally out of it oh my <laughs> like God. no I'm, like, I'm just so out of it for about 90 minutes and then you finally you're good and then you can just kind of finish it and that was a day we did 115 miles it was that's awful it was an yeah. awful day that's, that's of a lot. lot of miles and so yeah it was just that was the hardest day of the ride i took the next day off because i had to get my bike just looked at and tuned up a little bit and stuff and so i didn't really think anything of it but then the next day when i put on my helmet like i felt like the helmet shrunk Cause it was like oh really my like gosh. tight and it was serious? hurting my head. And so I'm like, what is going on here? Wait, did you get like so a anyway, bump? so I loosened it up. I, I, no, I, I have a bump. I had a bump under my chin, but not in my head. So any event, uh, basically long story short, you know, I've been, I've been having headaches probably since then quite regularly. And, uh, I probably had a minor concussion. I talked to a few doctors cause I, we have doctors in our church and I probably had a minor concussion. And that day when I put my bike helmet back on, like they were saying that, you know, I probably had a little bit of swelling inside, you know, inside my head. And so as a result of that, but I'm fine. You know, I was going to get a CAT scan, but I stopped having the headache. So I decided not to. So, yeah. So, but I still get, they're not. They I, feel like like I really, really want to, um, really want to <laughs> emphasize that people should not be taking medical advice from this podcast. Like I have a similar <laughs> circumstance happens to you and you feel like your yeah, brain might be swelling up outside of your scan. skull please seek real medical like guidance do not go by our podcast and say well you know, pp I, had a concussion and i just didn't gone, know so. i just didn't know like like how bad this could have been so i talked to this doctor and he goes if you were going 30 miles i said i was going about 20 he said if you went 30 miles that's fatal you know that right like, people die at 30 miles an hour on a bike and i'm like oh oh i didn't know that so anyway so I was going to get a CAT scan, but then the headache stopped for several days. So I was like, okay, it's cool. So yeah, I just recently came back from Washington and I've been kind of feeling the headaches again, but they're very minor. So I'm thinking if they keep persisting, I should probably go get a CAT scan, right? Just to make sure everything's okay with my head. So that was kind of like the accidental, kind of the, the bad thing, but it was accidental. It wasn't like it was intentional. That was the one bad thing about okay. the summer, right? All right. Second bad thing about Let's the summer. Let's hear it. I'm not proud of this one, guys. I'm not proud. So I did ask my son to forgive me. Um, he had a showcase. Spoiler uh, alert. The most important. <laughs> you can't start. With yeah, the, the most important. The most important showcase of the year that he's been training <laughs> and uh, and working really hard towards and stuff like that. And this showcase in particular was a two day showcase. One day it was more of the metrics they get on you, and then the second day was you play a game. And so that's kind of it. Okay, hold and, on. We got to clarify. This is your son yeah. Christian, who's starting senior year, Christian. and this is for that's his right. baseball. Yeah. Nobody has baseball. a clue right, what you're talking about. Listeners. We it's might a have showcase a showcase for what? Is right. he doing jazz dance? Like what? Is, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry for those who are okay. new time listeners. Um, mm -hmm. a, a little shout out to anyone who's listening to us for the first time. If you were at, um, if you were at Cascades uh, last week. And uh, and you and you heard me speak. I actually did plug the podcast. So if you're listening, thank you so much for joining us. All right. So I have a son. He's a senior in high school, and he wants to play college ball. And uh, and one of the ways in how you get noticed, unless you're like this complete stud, is you got to go to these college showcases in front of coaches so that they can see you and see, oh, okay, maybe I want to I want to get you know I want I want to connect with this person. That's kind of how you do it. And so he's been going to showcases and stuff like that for a couple of years now, you know, and he kind of knows the whole mm -hmm. drill. The, uh, the most important one of the year was early August. He had to go to that one. And he's been sort of training for that all year and stuff like that. And we were really hoping that, you know, he would do better even in all of his metrics. But then the good thing about this was the game, because he usually does pretty good in the games when he plays the games with, with you know, in these showcases. And so, you know, just really excited about it. You know, the first day he did his thing, um, he didn't, his metrics didn't really get better from last year, which was a bit disappointing. But you know what? It is what it is. But the game was just a shocker for me. I mean, he had three at-bats. Man, he, I couldn't believe he struck out three times. And the way he struck out, he struck out looking twice and the third time swinging. And it just was so unlike him, which didn't make sense. Like, I'm, he just was like a different player that day. 
And it just, it was awful. Like I just, it was a hard, it was a terrible day. He was felt terrible about it. I felt terrible about it. We're in the car and it just, and, I, and I'm just sad. I'm, you know, I got to share it. I got to be honest. Like I just was very honest with him about it. And I try to keep as, as calm as I could, not yelling, but I just said, hey, listen, buddy. All right. I said, you, this moment could either break you or it could make you. I'm, right? I was like, like, just I'm never, cringing right now. Like, I, I don't like, want to be forget, in this car. I said, never forget what happened to you. Oh, okay. God. Never forget this day because, you know, I was like, I used uh, stuff like in 10th grade, Michael Jordan got cut from the basketball team. All right all that stuff. And he never forgot that he used that as a motivation for the rest of his life. All right. I just said, I just, I cannot believe you. I, I said, you're, you, you were a completely different hitter today. You just, you're usually an ultra aggressive hitter, but you struck out twice looking and all that kind of stuff. So I just said, you got to, you know, I was like, you got to really focus and have a plan and, you know, and just really go in there being aggressive, but you went completely opposite of it. And so that was kind of it, but I was like, so upset. You know, I was like so upset about like kind of what happened. And, you know, these showcases are not cheap, Sua. They are expensive. Mm. And so I was just like, oh. And uh, at the end, though, I think I think the lesson that I learned from that was just that I just got to let this thing go. You know, I can't want it more than him. And at the end, like I think a couple of days later, I said, hey, I want you to forgive me for this. So what was his reaction when you said all that? Oh, he doesn't say anything. He's just quiet. I mean, he's a man of very few words. And so he was just he just kind of absorbed it. And then a couple of days we processed and I said, hey, I said, to him, hey, listen, like, so how do you feel like what was going on on that day? So he shared a little bit about it, um, you know, and stuff, but not much. And then I just said to him, I said, OK, here at the end of the day, this is it. Like, you got to ask yourself, like, you know, do you still want to do this? Do you still want to play college ball? It's up to you. Um, or do you want to just go to school? Like, that's your decision. Like, do you just want to go to college and that's it? Or are you going to actually play college ball? And so he's kind of in that stage of uh, kind of thinking that through. But no, it it you know that 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 uh, showcase was hard on me. It was hard on him. It was just awful. Like like even Jenny was sad. Like it was just like oh you know we just couldn't believe it and stuff. And I think he was a little shocked as well about kind of like you know like how he he wasn't as aggressive as he usually is. So that was a really downer for the summer um, when that happened. But you know at the end I think God is just teaching me let go of it and uh, and then at the end let it be his decision. I just told him like, he's playing fall ball. I said no pressure, just have fun. That's all I want you to do. Stop thinking about, you know, I got a hit, I got a hit, I got a hit. Just, just have a lot of fun and let's see what happens. And so any event, that's kind of uh, the downer, I think, uh, that happened this summer. And then the two quick highlights I will say is I went ATV last week. It was so much fun. See what, didn't we do ATV. ATVing as a staff? No. Didn't we do that as a staff one time? I wasn't there. Oh, were you not I there? I would not you have staff there. I have time. a t- I'm very I do not do ATV. I'm very scared of it. Cuz I know okay. people who so I, I I know a person who died from it, so I don't do it. Ooh. Like okay, ATV, no, we did it as a staff. It was like a freak accident and it fell on him and then he got crushed and he died. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so I did an ATV and that was so much fun and that was like such a such an amazing highlight. It was awesome. And then I would say the last thing would be um, I'm on sabbatical right now, and so I have been really enjoying my time off, and uh, and just kind of you know um, doing a lot of bit of traveling, and I'll be getting ready to go to Korea soon, and so I'm really excited about the Korea trip, all that stuff. So that's kind of like a highlight that I'm looking forward to, and it's just gonna be me and Jenny, no kids, so we're really that's looking awesome. forward to going to Korea and Thailand together without awesome. the kids. So that's it for me. So anyway, what about you? What's up I've with your had summer? A very 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 monotonous summer nothing has happened of excitement at all no highs no lows just kids at home not going to camp i wish i could i mean you know what i'll I'll tell you some of the fun things that happened like for example we had a a steady stream of visitors this year so i had um some like a friend's family who my one of my friends from college lily her um her family came to visit us with you know she and her husband and her two kids so that was kind of fun and then i had clara my friend clara you know clara she came up? Yeah, Clara came up with her came daughter? Up. Yeah, Clara oh, came up for a oh. weekend. So that was really fun. Awesome. And then my sister-in-law came with her, the son who's still in high school to visit. So okay. um, I mean, I love having visitors. Like I like playing hostess. Um, So that was, I don't know. It was, it's really fun being able to. I was hoping to come up with Columbus my wife. So that, well, you know, the first, I, just to tell the audience, we wanted season three, episode one to be 
John and Jenny being on the podcast. And I have tried. Sue, I have tried. I have tried. Well, I threatened John with many things. Um, I and threatened he, John he with many things. Well, he said he would do the opening question if he was given okay. the opening question in advance. Okay. That's he said great. he needs to think about it. I'm gonna tell I threatened to, Jenny, to not like Je- help him with anything in life, basically. I was like Jenny keeps saying, she hmm. keeps saying, if John says no, I'm so I said, what about just the opening question? Then you guys leave. Like, why can't you just do the opening question and then leave? And she goes, Nope, John says no, I'm gonna It'll just be no. hard so if, to find a time that works for everybody. Um, that listen, we can record. E- even if it has to be at night time when the kids go to bed, <laughs> we'll do it. I'll be half asleep. And you know, I get weird at 9 30 p.m. After 9 30 p.m., <laughs> the brain doesn't function. So I'm gonna say something kind of crazy. So that will be our highest um, listen to episode ever. We're seeing the crazy stuff. It's like, is it the concussion? Is it the late bedtime? What is it? I know. I know. Right. I know. Okay. Well, listen, what I wanted to do today is that there has been an article that's been sort of circulating online on your on your social media post. It's an article. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. You didn't get, give me a chance. Yeah, yes. You didn't get me a chance oh, to the talk about stuff. the that's thing. Weird. No, no, no. The thing that I need to revisit from our last season. Oh, this is very shucks. important. Okay. This is very important. I was, I was important. hoping maybe that you wouldn't. Okay. All right. Go for it. <laughs> go for it. Well, I just need to correct myself because this is, you know, okay. when people um, have to publish like corrections on articles and things like this um, after they say something mm. or publish something and then they have to like addend it by saying like, oh, sorry, there was an error. This is a correction. Well, this is a correction yeah. from season two. I don't know which episode. Um, it was the episode in which we talked about um, if we could do any sin and get a free pass, what would we choose? And Pastor Peter <laughs> was, very memorably- That was my opening question, right? That was my opening very question. Very memorably chose that he would like to um, go and castrate all the pedophiles. It's still unclear whether he wanted to castrate himself, like he wanted to do it himself, the castration, or he wanted to like create a space for people to be able to do this. I'm not really sure. But I said in that episode that when you do a- castration you only remove the testicles however yes. i have been proven wrong that is how they so do i was right no well okay so that is how they do most castrations in the western hemisphere but okay. however i have been reading a book on testosterone it's called t it's a very very interesting book and in this book they talk about how in china where there is a lot of eunuchs they actually remove both the testicles and the penis and how do they pee question, then? How do okay, they pee? So here's, here's, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you. So, because the First whole of all, reason audience, why, yeah, what you're, you're what? crazy for reading a book on testosterone. It's Who fascinating. It's a book on testosterone. It's I don't very understand interesting. it. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. It's called okay. The Story okay. of Testosterone, okay. the hormone that, hormone that dominates and divides us. But, anyways, so I'll tell you, okay, because, because when you talk, okay, listen, you that whole thing about the castration and you were like, don't they remove everything? I was like, that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, how would they pee? So, you know, the castrati, which were those like Italian opera singers, they only had opera their singers, testicles yes. removed. But in China, the eunuchs in China, they removed everything. And what they did was, yeah. they... now that I'm talking about it, I'm like getting too excited. It's a little embarrassing. It's fascinating. They have a, they put a needle through the hole in the urethra. After the uh-huh. after they chop it off with a knife, they stick a needle in that hole where the urethra is, where the pee would come out, and they leave it there for three days while everything else is like, becoming scar tissue like it's healing so that the hole okay. would not close up and then so after, they could just pee mm-hmm, so after three days they would remove the needle and the hole would be intact and then for the rest of their lives they would just pee like women do like crouching or sitting that's crazy mm-hmm. so i stand Whoa. corrected not all castrations Whoa. require only the removal of the testicles some castrations especially in china in certain dynasties they My removed the, the King dynasty. No, the Qing dynasty. They removed everything. So just you know, wanted to make you know, sure now that you knew. say that, I don't know what uh, um what uh drama I watched. I watched the K drama years ago, and I don't know if it's a drama or a movie, but it was back in the you know the ancient times, and there was a eunuch, and they actually showed like his private area like completely castrated. So now that you say that. I, I just mm. remember that. I just remember that. And yeah, okay. Maybe that's why. Hold I on. Is this, sorry, we're castrated. totally going on the random topic, but was is this historical movie the one that you were telling me about in the office with Isunshin and the Kobuksan, the turtle ship? No, no. Oh, oh okay. maybe. Cause, oh, because you were like so. telling me about it. 
And you no, were like, do you one. know about the, the, um, what, what is he like? He's like a, he's like a, he's like a general. Chang-un. What's a Changun in general, general, general. Yeah. Chang-un he's a general. general. Yeah. And I only, I, I'm very familiar with his story because my mom always told me that I'm a Lee descended from Isunshin, the Lee, but I don't think that was true. I think that was a load of BS, but anyways, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. So yes, I just wanted to make the listeners know that I am aware of the error. And um, I have been corrected. I stand corrected. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, now we can move That's... on to our real hey, topic. So, so that means I was right and you were wrong on that one, huh? I think we were both right. Okay. Okay. Well, we're both right. Because the Western, oh, the Europeans did not castrate the, have you been listening to what I said? <laughs> yeah, the but, Chinese but that's because they eunuchs that... had nothing. The, the, Euro, the Italians kept their penises. But that was, wasn't that also just so that, well, but, but those these were just specifically opera singers. The castrati. Right? Isn't that all yes. Italians? Isn't that no, all no, Italians? No, no, no. Please, please let it be known that I do not think all Italian men have been castrated. No, no, no I'm just, I, Yeah, okay, all right. No, the castrati. Anyway. Remember, castrati. it's like that specific group of, um, you know, men who can sing, like, the upper registries and operas. Yeah. Okay, anyway, sorry. We're spending way so, too much time. So, yeah, so definitely. So then we can do full crest, full, full castration yes but you must make sure you insert a needle into the hole in the urethra so it doesn't close up it it must be a big needle it's gotta be a big needle that's that's it's gotta be a big needle. it can't be one of those regular needles that you use like so like hem hem something you know it's gotta be a big thick needle let's see it said that um oh oh, they also have to they also have to preserve the organs because they had to take with take them with them to the afterlife okay I don't think anyone cares about this. Only you do. <laughs> she's literally opening up a book and she's reading now. She's reading that section so that she could see what the thickness of the needle might be. I, so I think I it, think it actually okay. did talk about um, what the... It's a pewter needle. A pewter needle. It doesn't talk about the size. It just says it's made out of pewter. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. All right. Well, that that's that's very fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for sharing You're that with welcome. us. You're welcome. All right. So... Um, <laughs> So nothing bad though this summer. Just kind of like it was just kind of like, you know, just the I had a great summer. summer. I had a great okay. summer. Okay. It was super nothing fun. bad. Like you and John fought, you know, yelled at each other or anything, or you know, threatened divorce. I yell at him all the like time. That. All right. But I don't you I don't yell at him yeah, I, I yell at him all the time. All right. Like all right. I just yelled at him yesterday because he didn't take his water cups downstairs and left like four oh, cups of water that's, in that's our still bedroom. The, that's still the thing, yeah, that you say about yeah. the water cups, the thing, yeah. the complaint that you have. Yeah. Okay. Also, All he right. leaves like snack trash everywhere. It's fine. It's nice, fine. nice. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk today about this uh this article that was written and I, it's gone pretty much viral all over social media. I know I have a lot of pastor friends and they've been reposting this thing. It did not go viral Constantly. from my social media. I have never really? heard, I've um, never seen this article okay. until you so, sent it to me. Uh, so for me, you know, because most of my friends on social media are pastors, <laughs> I just couldn't believe how many people were reposting this. It was just it was at an alarming rate. So it's an article called Why I Left the Church and it was written by Pastor Alexander Lang. And basically he's outlining why he decided to quit the church. All right. And so um, you know, he he writes in his article, just to give you a quick synopsis, quick, quick synopsis. He says that 42% of pastors, according to Barna, uh, Barna is a research company, uh, are considering quitting right now. Today, as of today, 42% of pastors, that's almost half. And he says the top five reasons of why pastors want to quit their job is num- the, the number one reason why is stress of the job. Yeah, there's just a tremendous amount of stress for pastors. I agree. There's a lot of stress being a pastor. Number two, uh, lonely and isolated. They feel lonely and isolated. Number three is current political division. I think it's been too much on them, which I found to be kind of shocking. I would think that might be the fifth, but that's the third. Fourth is hurting my family, the ministry. There is no other profession in this country or in this world that destroys the family unit than the role of clergy. That has been backed up all right, through research. And number five, um, optimistic about not optimistic about the future of my church. All right, those are the five reasons. And he said probably the 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 two one the two major ones that he struggled with the most was the stress of the job and feeling lonely and isolated. So that's kind of the gist of the article. And I think I think there's been a, quite a bit of pastors that have been reposting this because they just wanted people to see how hard it is to be a pastor. And I guess they wanted 
the per, their parishioners or just people in general to understand a little bit. And we did an episode last season about the psyche of a pastor, which is actually one of the most listened to podcast episodes in, in our history, actually. And, uh, and we kind of broke it down a little bit. But any event, Sue, I just I, I, as 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 uh, an attender, somebody who attends church, as you read it, what were some of your thoughts? Just your immediate like reaction or just kind of how you what how you responded to an article like that that was written? Anything? I mean, I, I don't think anything was surprising to me about the okay. article because I, I mean, I think part of it is because we've tackled this topic multiple times on our podcast. I've yeah. heard you talk about like the unique stresses that are posed to pastors in general. Um, we've also talked extensively about what may cause, what may have caused some of these like, you know, big time pastors, pastor celebrities to kind of like fall. And we've kind of gone into that. Right, so right, I really right, thought right. about it a lot, but also because I was on staff and I saw kind of, I mean, obviously without me being a pastor myself, but I also got, got to witness very close hand how um, like a staff works and the kind of unique pressures that, pastors and leaders in the church face. So I don't really think it was that shocking to me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, were you surprised? I don't know, right? This no, not like at all. Totally. Not like at all. Everything you already kind of knew. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't surprised at all by it. I mean, it was just pretty typical. Um, so can I just share with you some of my thoughts? Yeah. And then maybe you can kind of like yeah. be devil's advocate or whatever, because I have some like, I know this, I, I might get some hate emails from this. Uh, from those pastors. are our best episodes. Really? Okay. So I, I there, there's I a chance. I think we got. There's a chance I truth. might get some hate emails from this. I just want to just be very honest. Okay. I read the article through and through, and I just had some thoughts. Number one is simply this: I will never know. I and and I hope to never know what it feels like to have church leaders, ministry lay leaders, to create a like like a coup to try to get you fired or try to get you out of the church. Like, I will never know what that feels like. I hope I never know what that feels like. I could only imagine what that does to the psyche of a pastor when leaders in the church are trying to get other people together to try to get you out of the church. And that's what one of the things he shared in his article. And I think that's horrible. That is a, a depth of betrayal, you know, just feeling, you can feel like a failure, feeling overwhelmed, all of that stuff. I mean, I'm sure that's overwhelming. So I will never know what that feels like. So I think there's a big part of my heart that goes out to him in that sense when he was sharing in his article that people were trying to get him out and, but it happens uh, and all so the time. that it happens all the time i mean it really even does. when people, i was growing up it happened all the time where churches would time. split because certain yes. factions within the church would form based on something that they didn't agree with the pastor about or they didn't like right. something that the pastor did and so they would leave and then they would split off and find their own make their own church well you so know? so the splitting thing is not i think that's more hopeful you know even though your churches shouldn't do that but at least the pastor has a congregation that he can still pastor. What this guy experienced was something worse. You know, they wanted to fire him, meaning there would be no other congregation that he would go to. If this worked, he would have been unemployed. Right. And so that to me is like, that's, that's hard. Mm. That's really hard. You have a family, you got to feed your family, all that stuff. And like, and now all of a sudden, you know, you might get fired or there's a group of people that want you to get fired. And then like, even if that doesn't happen, I got to imagine it's got to be such a challenge for the pastor, for for this man to stand up there every Sunday and preach, knowing that there are people that want him out. Like, that's got to be hard. And that's got to mess with your psyche a little bit. So I, I'm really like, like, I feel bad about that. I, I, you know, I definitely I don't know what that feels like. So my heart does go out uh, to somebody like him and to any pastor who's actually been fired any pastor who who um who had a sort of lay leaders wanted them out and somehow they got they got they got the boot that is definitely horrible that really is um but what i will say is um and this is this is this is sort of me getting on my soapbox if that's cool uh, for just a moment um being a pastor is never meant to be easy being a pastor was never meant for you to be loved by everyone i mean it's it's hard it's 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 a difficult position and so i think the thing that i was sort of pushed back on him on is what did you think being a pastor is all about you know did you think that everyone would just love on you and it was going to be easy and you were going to be popular in your like i mean i just i just i kind of want to encourage our listeners who are pastors like at the end of the day all we have that we have to lean on is our calling in ministry and if god hasn't called you to be a pastor 
then I think it'll be very difficult for you to be a pastor over a long period of time. But when God calls you, you I think we have to be reminded that this is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard because when we pursue the calling of ministry, when you look at it biblically speaking, I mean, it landed Jesus on the cross, right? Every disciple were martyred for their faith. So this is not supposed to be easy. I mean, just if you read like 2 Corinthians, I mean, Paul is like, the church hates him. They absolutely hate him. They don't believe in his leadership, his apostleship. And so he's writing to them, you know, talking to them and trying to convince them otherwise, you know, and stuff like that. And so like they didn't have it easy. Right. And so I just think that the ministry, I don't know when people decide to go into ministry, like what their thoughts are. I think they're thinking they're going to be embraced and loved by everyone. And of course, that's the picture we all want. That's the version we all want. But I think like at some somewhere along the line, there's got to be like a seminary class. There's got to be something where we prepare future ministers and encourage them and say, this is going to be hard. This is going to be so difficult for you. The hardest thing you're ever going to do, prepare them, but then remind them at the end of the day, the only thing that you have to fall upon and lean on, no matter how hard ministry gets, is your calling. That's it. And so I'm disappointed in somebody like Alexander Lang because he quit ministry. Because if he has truly been called by God to do this, if God has called him to do this, then he has now decided to no longer listen to that calling and do something else so that it's not as hard. And to me, I have a problem with that. I just have a problem with that as ministers. Do we quit that easily no matter how hard it gets? And I get it. We go through a lot. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of trauma and healing that needs to happen. But at the end of the day, we're called to be, if we're called to be a pastor, we got to do it no matter how hard it, no matter how hard it is. We got to do it to the best of our abilities. And I was just disappointed reading this and realizing, I wonder if he was ever called. Now, if he wasn't called to do this and he decided to do it because he felt like maybe he had a gift to do it, that's one thing. But if God called him to be a pastor, God doesn't uncall us. And we have to live that out to the best we can. Okay, and that's can the I, thing that I found disappointing in that article. So anyway, yeah. Question, right? So yeah. I I understand um, the, the the special significance of like the calling, as you're saying, um, for a pastor that's been called by God to be a shepherd and be yeah. a pastor and lead the church. The, and you said God doesn't ever uncall you. But is that actually true? Like, is there not ever a pastor where God calls them to be a pastor in a specific format, like of a, like, you know, the traditional sense of a pastor for like this many years. And then at some point, God's kind of like, okay, I want you to shift gears now. It's not that I don't want you to be like a leader, but maybe your time has now, like, I don't know. I feel like it's such a, it's such a black and white thing to say, God will never uncall you from your um, role as a pastor. Well, I mean, no, do you I actually... do think, I do, th no, I do think calling can change over yeah. time. So it can change differently. But what this guy is saying, right, it's not right. that. God didn't call him. Well, to he's giving church. up on he's, his calling. Yes, that's the difference. Now, listen, I mean, I know a pastor. I know pastors who are CEOs and presidents of uh, nonprofit companies. And it's a different calling. So I think God will call other people differently You know, over time. That can happen. And we should always be open to that. But what I'm talking about here is what, what, what this man did. God, I, I, I'm assuming God called him into full-time ministry. And he is now, the article had nothing to do with now God is leading me to a different place. The article had everything to do about how hurt he is, how hard this has been, how stressful this has been, and now he's leaving the ministry altogether. And what I didn't see in that article is, what about your calling? Hmm. Didn't God call you? Like, if God called you now to leave that and go, that's one thing. But what, what, what I don't like about this is that he completely allowed the people to affect his decision in ministry. I mean, just think about that for one second. Could you imagine if that happened to Jesus? Like he allowed the people to affect his calling that God has placed upon him's life to die for all of humanity. He's just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I mean, he didn't want to. He did do his Gethsemane. He did go to Gethsemane and didn't want to, but he did it eventually, right? So it's just like, why do we, I guess the part of this is, and I get, I've been through some hard times as well in church and all that stuff, but why do we allow the people to impact and sort of not allow God to direct us, whether it's to leave the church? And that's one thing. If God is leading us that way, then I'm completely for that. But why do we let people determine where we're going to not listen to the calling that God has placed upon our life? I think that's the biggest problem I have with the article. And I think if you're listening as a pastor, like I get it, man, like pastors, our parishioners, 
are, you know, if you're an associate past, I know how hard it can be, right? It's, it's difficult, but I think at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, has God really called me to do this? Because if he has called me to do this until he gives us another assignment, I think we got to do our best to stay at our post. So like my encouragement for Alexander is simply this. If you're listening, Alexander, which I hope you are, <laughs> but I doubt he is. We'll tag I need him. to ask you, are you, are you true? Have you truly been called by God to be a pastor? Or was it a time where you felt like because you're a good communicator, you thought you could do this as a full-time? Well, that's different. Okay. God didn't call you. You just thought you could do it. Now there are pastors who do that. There are pastors who grew up in the in sort of like in a pastoral family and they didn't really think they were called, but because their families have all done it, they just kind of follow suit. That's not God's calling. But if you've been called, Reverend Lang, if you've been called to be a pastor, my encouragement to you is don't abandon the call. All right. I, yes, I get it. Sometimes people in the church really suck and it's hard, but stay faithful to the calling because that's what we're called to do. Jesus says those disciples of his must pick up their cross and follow him. That means it, it is a road to suffering. And I think perhaps maybe sometimes pastors, myself included, and pastors like Alexander, um, we go into ministry with this utopian view that we're going to be loved by everyone. And it's just not right. It's not, it, it, we can never expect that because like it didn't happen for Jesus. It didn't happen for the other disciples. And we just have to be open and realizing that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult road towards ministry. And so I think that's my major issue with this article. And uh, and sort of, I guess, the disappointing or the, the thing that made me sad because more and more, and, 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 the, and when people were reposting this, like I, do, I didn't know, like, obviously people want to talk about it, of course, but it's just like, yeah, treat your pastors better. I get it. Yeah, people should treat their pastors better. Totally. But I just don't want other pastors to read this and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit. But just being reminded, we're called. If God calls you to do this, we got to stick through it until he calls us to do something else. That's just that's just my thoughts on that. And I just kind of want to get that out um, today and just share that with the audience. But anyway, yeah. Any I other think, thoughts that you have? Yes. I think that if the article had not been titled like why I left the church or whatever it was titled, yeah. like if the, if the article was more about the unique struggles that face a pastor and then basically it ended on the note of, you know, these are the things that your pastors face. Um, please pray for them or something like that. I think it would have been a much better received article, at least right. for me. I think it's because the emphasis on is on, well, it's so hard because of, you know, one, two, three, and four. And therefore now I am leaving. And here is a poem that I wrote about our partying. Like yeah. it, it just, I think it's the emphasis is on the wrong thing, you know? Um, I think that's kind of why. But I, I, I did want to ask you though, because I yeah. thought a lot about what, does it actually because right now you're using a lot of um and i know you're getting like really heated but you're using a lot of examples of things <laughs> really in the bible that got or that jesus said yeah. not to pastors but his disciples in general yeah and so you yeah. know like all of these things that you're saying are not things that like i don't actually think jesus ever said anything about a modern day pastor and what a pastor no no jesus, there was not such a jesus. thing yeah. as right like i mean that's a yes. call that's given to all yes. believers and all, all of christians us. in general right. and so i'm trying to think about from like a layperson perspective um first of all like what does it even mean in our modern times to be a pastor because not even going back to like the ancient times, because I don't know who was the original pastor, would you say? Is it Paul? Like, I mean, I don't know. Um, well, Peter, maybe, well, Jesus, I mean, Peter's considered Jesus, the first but... pope, first pope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But like, you know, it's, it's kind of one of these things, like even the, the role of a pastor and what I expect from a pastor has changed so much, even from when I was growing up to now. So mm. when I was growing up, the pastor did everything, but the past, the churches were also not super large. So the pastor was yeah. expected to officiate every wedding, be at mm. every baptism, go to every funeral, attend every housewarming party. Like, I mean, the yeah. pastors did everything, you know, and it was unthinkable for me. It was inconceivable that I would not know as a parishioner personally, the pastor of that church. Like that was like a weird idea. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You don't know the pastor. Of course, the pastor knows my, knows me, knows my children. He prays for my family personally yeah. versus yeah. like, I think about the churches that I've attended now um, in my twenties and like my thirties. Cause now I go to a church that's even larger than like Metro West tech, like in terms of like the demographics and the numbers. Yeah. 
there's no way that senior pastor will ever know who I am or know who my family yeah. is. You know, yeah. I don't have a personal relationship with the pastor. I don't know how yeah. they live their lives in their everyday. Um, and I, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, like, wh- in your opinion, what is what defines what it means to be a pastor? Like, what is the thing that has not changed from 30 years ago versus now to 2000 years ago or whatever, you know? Well, what can't change, I think, with a pastor is if you follow a little bit like what the disciples, um, the early apostles did. Well, first and foremost, I would say uh, is that pastor basically means shepherd. That's all it means. Right. And so part of our calling has to be we have to shepherd the people in our church. We have to care for them. And that's exactly what he wrote in his article. He said he's like kind of he knew about 350 people in his church. He knew their stories. He counseled them or so on and so forth. That's part of it. That's part of our calling. Uh, the other aspect of a pastor is, is if now it's th- different in the church in which you go to Sua because it's a very large church. So there's multi, multi staff, mm-hmm. right? So every pastor has different roles and there can be more specialization to it. And that's a good thing because again, just like in Acts 7, the disciples were like, the apostles were like, we can't do all this. We're going to die. Like, there's no way we can do it. We got to be devoted to like studying and teaching the word of God. And so he, they, they elected like, you know, second tier level of disciples and then they ran the church for them. Right. So there are ways in how, you know, that, that, that can be done. But I think one of the most important things that a pastor should be doing is that they should be teaching the Bible. They should be teaching the Bible to its people. They should be preaching um, you know, if you're if, if you're the senior pastor, you should be preaching on a semi-regular basis to your congregation, imparting to them the word of God. Right. That's it. I think pastors now, depending on the size of the church, especially senior pastors, and he wrote this in an article, were called to be CEO, CFO, COOs, you know, shepherds, you know, preachers, all that stuff. And it's just it's a lot and it can be overwhelming. And I get that. But but our, our primary role is to care for the people, preach God's word. And make sure that the church is doing what it does to live out the great the great commission. Ba- bringing in new people, baptizing, evangelizing people need to come to know Jesus Christ. That's what the church is for. It's to establish His kingdom, where people can can get a taste of what heaven is going to be like here on earth. And that's kind of what the church the church is supposed to be the representation of God's kingdom. So that it's supposed to be so different from the world that when people come, they'll get a taste of heaven. They're like, this is like. Wow, this if this is what heaven's going to be like, I want to be a part of this. That's kind of what the role of the pastor is to build the church, and that's what it is. And Peter was the first one because Jesus blessed and anointed him to go and build a church, right? So that's kind of like the role of being a pastor. Does that help? It, it does, but I, I still feel like, um, I guess you know, I think about what my expectations have been for a pastor. Um, and it makes me think about when I l- decided to leave the old church that I was attending and the pr- like the reason why I eventually left after, a, you know, like there were a couple of other things, but it was primarily because when I had this conversation with this pastor, he was the senior pastor, he was the founding pastor. Um, and m- my conversation has started with me asking, like, is there a reason why you did not talk about this particular thing, the particular thing was when um, the attack on the Capitol that was like mm-hmm. the the white nationalist insurrection. And right, they right, just right. totally did not talk about it, which I just wanted to know, was there a reason? Like, is was this just like an omission right. that was just coincidental? Or was there actually a reason why you guys chose not to talk about this very big thing that had happened in our country? Um, and if the, if the, you know, answer was more that, it, oh, we just, if we miss that, like we'll do it, like that would have been fine. But I was more concerned that they were like, we just do not talk about political things at church. Yeah. Um, not that I want my church to be partisan, but I certainly believe that we should be talking about the current events and political things that are happening. Um, and if that was the case, then I really had to rethink about, you rethink my going to this church as my home church. Right. The, that was not actually what ended up making me leave. The reason why I ended up leaving was because when I had this conversation with this pastor, who is a great pastor. He preaches wonderfully. He's like, I mean, after you, he's one of the best preachers I've heard. Um, Like he's just great. Right. (laughs) Um, I still listen to some of his preaching. Like he's great. But the thing that made me feel like, Ooh, I don't know about this is he said to me, you know, Sua, I get emails on Sunday all the time about preach about this. Why don't you talk about this? And why don't you talk about this? Why did you talk about this? And at the end of the day, Sua, like, I'm so confused. Like, I don't even know who to listen to anymore. Like, that's what he said to me. And that I think was a red flag for me because yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't so much of what is he choosing to talk about? Was What is his team choosing not to talk about? It was the fact that he conveyed to me, he was extremely confused 
about who to listen to. Now, I don't know if that was just like him figuratively speaking to me, his exasperation, but mm-hmm. it was really, really a red flag for me that the pastor who was leading at that point, the church had grown to 3000. It was 800 to 3003 years. Um, I understand. It's a very discombobulating thing, I'm sure, to be the pastor of a church that was 300 to 500 to suddenly 3,000 members within five mm-hmm. years. Like, I get how discombobulating that can be and how the barrage of emails that he probably was getting from people who are unhappy with things he's saying. But the fact that he was communicating to me, I don't know who to listen to. Um, yeah, was it, it, very it shows concerning. that he doesn't have values like that. Like, yes. like, he, like if, if a pastor had values and they can share the values with you, but he basically like doesn't have it. And that's why he doesn't know who to listen to. So I think for yeah. me, in terms of like a lay person who's just a congregation member, I would want, I would, I don't know. And now I have to think about this because maybe this is not theologically correct either. But I guess my expectation is I would want my pastor to have, or at least maybe it's helpful to have a team of pastors who have an alignment in the vision and the values of the church. And the, and absolutely knows exactly. And also is hearing from the Holy Spirit what it is that, God wants him to talk Absolutely. about or her to talk about. Absolutely. And if God is telling this pastor, whoever, you know, to say it, he or she has to say it. And if God's saying that's not it, then no matter how many congregation members send yeah. hate mail, you can't say it. Um, and I I kind of wish in that situation he had had that kind of center centering relationship yeah. with God, yeah. or at least a team to kind of talk it out with. Yeah. But that that was kind of, I think, and I can totally yeah. see how if that does not get worked out as the church gets bigger and bigger and the voices get more and more heated and, you know, political campaigning gets crazier and crazier and everything gets more divisive. Like, where are you going to stand? You know, how are right, you not right. going to fall? You know? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like for a church to grow in three years from 500 to 3000, um, that's chaos. That's chaos right. growth. That's not healthy growth. That's chaotic growth. And so I can only imagine the pressure he's on. And obviously he's doing something to be very attractional so the church grows at that level. So that's probably what it is. And he's probably a very gifted communicator. But, you know, all I would say is that at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, I, every pastor who's listening, like you just have to ask yourself, has God called you to be a minister? And if he has, then you have to stay faithful to that until he gives you another assignment. You can't just quit because it's hard. Like, that's disobedience, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, you're disobeying God's calling for your life. And, you know, God didn't call us to take the easy route. You know, like even the years, Sua, where I've shared with you, even behind closed doors of how hard it was in ministry, just because church was very difficult, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. All those different years that I've had, and I've had a good number of those years, you know, like it was hard, you know. And and at the end of the day, like, yeah, did I ever think about quitting? Of course I did. I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This is hard, you know. But I never thought about like quitting ministry and going back to work for like NBC again. Like I never thought about that. It would always be like, maybe I'll leave this church and go to a different church or mm. do something else in ministry. It was never to abandon my calling that God has placed upon my life. Because then what would I be then at the end of the day, my relationship with God, if I abandoned it, would he still love me? Of course he will. But he's called me and I've learned what he's called me to do. And I got to stay faithful to that to the very end. I mean, that's our goal. And my hope for pastors is that if God has called you to be a pastor until maybe he gives you another assignment, which for most pastors is highly unlikely, but if he's called you to be a minister, then do it to the day you retire. That is the best thing we could do. And I respect so many pastors um, that retired. I got a good friend, Greg Jackson, and he's 70 years old and he retired as a pastor. And I just said, you are just, I have so much respect for you. So much respect because you did it to the very end. You were faithful to the very end. Um, and 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 that's my hope. My hope is that every pastor would retire as a pastor when they're 65 or 70 years old, as opposed to just quitting because they can't handle the people in the church. That to me is very tragic. The other thing I would say, Sua, is this. When I was reading his article, I think one of the problems is, is that, you know, he talked about how he's a strong preacher and I don't doubt that he is. But his problem, I think, was that he was preaching to stimulate and to impact people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that if you're listening and you're a pastor, I think we get caught up in doing that. We want to sort of impact people's minds. People's minds are not going to allow them to live a transformed life. We got to preach to impact their hearts. That's the difference. 
And so when he was talking a lot about his preaching and all that stuff and how he was trying to impact them, their minds and all that stuff, like that's the wrong goal. We got to preach to transform hearts because when you transform, if God uses you to transform somebody's heart through your preaching, then you have them. Then they're broken, right? They're breaking. But when you just impact people's minds, they're not broken. They might learn something new about God, but you got to impact their minds to the point where it's going to impact their heart. And I just say that is that what's, really important over the years that I've been doing this is that you got to be open to being vulnerable on stage. You got to be open to being vulnerable about your own faults, your own brokenness. I think if Pastor Lang did that more, I think his church would have a deeper, more respect for him and would understand a level of his, you know, like his strengths, his weaknesses and all that stuff. I think that really helps and, and, it'll, and it'll really help him to connect deeper with his congregation that way. And so I just think this idea of, of you know, the church is, is this is this oftentimes it's just like the world, right? It's just a place where we champion strength and we embrace strength like the world embraces strength. But I think the church has to be this alternative community, the kingdom community where we are about weaknesses and about vulnerability and hence the, the podcast, you know, and I was reading second Corinthians 11 in the end, Paul says, I just want to boast about my weaknesses. I don't want to boast about my strengths. He's like, I don't want to boast about my, my strengths. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. And I just think it's important for us to be vulnerable with our congregation and not worry. Are they going to use this against us? But being vulnerable and sharing with them some of the struggles that we have in our relationship with God, in our relationships with other people, but at the same time, seeing how God has come around and helped us and rallied behind us through this. I think if people, pastors start preaching like that, it will change their relationship with their congregation in some ways. I think it will be tremendously helpful. And so that would probably be my last thing I would say about that article. And uh, and just kind of saying that that would be really helpful because when I was reading and I was like, and he talked about his sermons. I was just like, man, you're just preaching to try to impact their minds. And that's not going to do it at the end of the day. You got to impact their hearts. Jesus was always aiming for the heart. He was always aiming for well, the I mean, heart. Jesus he knew, had he, a bit of a advantage, though, because he could see into our hearts. That's true. <laughs> like, that's true. You know what I mean? Like that's he literally, true. when he calls you a brood of vipers, he knows because he sees exactly what's in your heart. Like, I feel like if we get to, if we get into a lot of trouble if we say that because we might not know exactly what they're thinking. We do get a lot of, yeah, but, into a lot of trouble, though, because I think sometimes we assume what other people yeah, are thinking. Yeah. But, but anyway. I would say that when Jesus, did, yeah. when Jesus did that, I think when Jesus did that, um, very few people changed, right? I mean, you know that. They were angry. Yeah, I mean, he they was, wanted to kill yeah. him, all of that stuff. Yeah. But when he stared at that woman who was caught in adultery and he said to her, did anyone throw a stone at you? No, neither do I. Go and sin. Like, he, he knew how to impact people's hearts. The Samaritan woman, you know, he knew how to impact people's hearts in that way. Even at Gethsemane with his disciples, even though they fell asleep, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Can you please pray for me? You know, that just being that honest and vulnerable, that's Jesus. So why can't we do that with our parishioners? With but the you know, I think that it gets a little difficult when, and I don't, again, I am not a pastor, so I do not know. Yeah. Um, But I do think there is a difficulty that arises when as a leader, as a pastor, you consistently identify more with Jesus than like your role as Jesus, than your role as the Samaritan woman or your role as the woman who's been caught in adultery. Yeah. Um, because we are like, well, we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to lead and we're going to speak to people. But if you're not being broken before Jesus and showing yes. him your vulnerabilities and Ooh, continue good, to Sula. only align Sula, yourself that's so with good. Jesus, then, yeah, then you Sula. can't show your vulnerability. That's right. you know, that's and right. I feel like as leaders, we do that. Like We're like, this is what yeah. Jesus did. And I'm going to follow his example. Of course we should follow Sula, his example. That's, that's exactly that's, it. You know, but before exactly you go it. and try yeah. to be like Jesus, you have to first be broken like the woman yeah. at, you know, at the well or the Samaritan woman, all the people in yeah. the Bible who were broken, yeah. not the Pharisees, yeah. because they were not broken yeah. and nope. not vulnerable and not weak to use our word. Yes. Um, but I yes. think that is like something that is so hard sometimes for us to be vulnerable even before God. Yes. But we have to be because if we don't, we don't receive that grace from God, then we cannot yeah. share that as leaders and be walking like Jesus. The other thing that I did want to say, though, um, and now, oh, okay, okay, so remember we got into a debate. It wasn't a debate. It was a conversation, but it was a little bit of debate because I Last season? with you. Yeah, about calling because you you literally gave mm. me some absurdly high percentage of pastors that you thought were in ministry because they were called. And I was like, to be honest, I think it's like at best 50 
percent that oh. the pastors. Wait, do you have like a real data? Do you no, have I don't. I, how would oh, who okay. would who's gonna be like? No, I, I have know. not been I, called. I just don't know. I just don't know. Um, yeah. But I I just can't. I'm sorry. Like maybe yeah. it's because I'm like a You're pessimist. Right. But I yeah. just cannot because, like you said, yeah. I can't imagine if God has personally placed a call on your heart to lead the church, which is His greatest love, the church. Yeah. You would just let a bunch of and I I know this sounds like I'm being very flippant about it, but I'm not. Like I understand Don't how be people's yep. words hurt. Go for it. I understand yep. that people's emails yep. really hurt. People trying to coo and like yeah. make you fired, like that's scarring, yeah. traumatizing yes. stuff. Yes. But if you really had God placed this call upon you to lead the Come church, on. how That's how right. are you going to just turn away and leave? That's why I don't I don't think. That's it. Now, opening it up to a broader sense for those listeners who might not actually be pastors, but just in general Christians. I was making this kind of joke at small group mm. yesterday um, because, you know, you know, we do. I told you, you probably forgot. Uh, we get these temporary tattoos every month of like Bible verses. So my kids and I have been trying to memorize Bible verses and we get these temporary tattoos and it's it's a Bible verse of the month. So the Bible verse of the month, right now? I completed my task. So I have not, oh, so, I've been finished. No. Yeah, I have you, completed you, it. In you the obviously sense that get another A. I've completed yeah. it in the sense of memorizing it. I have not completed it in the sense of living it out because the verse for this month, <laughs> September, I'll tell you, is to, you, to all who are listening, I say, um, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That is our mm. verse for the month. Mm. And the mm. kids were wearing it and they were reciting it and they were like, love your enemies, do good to those. And I was thinking to myself, and I mean, obviously I'm myself included, like, yeah, man, like, do we understand what it is that we are signing up for when yeah. Jesus calls us and he puts a calling on our lives too, to be a disciple yeah. of Jesus. And we say, yes, yes. do we really understand the magnitude of what he is calling us to do. He is literally calling us to live in a way that it goes opposite the current of everything else in this world. It is yeah, a very, yeah. very difficult life. Like all of the things you said, Jesus was crucified. If we're going to follow his example, we should expect no less, you know? But right. I think a lot of times we forget because it's so, I hate to say it, but in a way it's so easy to be yeah. saved. Like, just say the prayer, just say the sinner's prayer. And now you are yeah. saved and you can go to heaven. Like it's such a low bar in that easy believism sense that yeah. we don't think about how the part that follows is like so much, so much more difficult than that moment. Um, it's a lifetime yeah. of, you know, just real difficult things. Um, and I, I think that's kind of something that I think about a lot is like, man, like, and you know, one of the things I did appreciate about the article, not to like knock on the article so much, is he talks about that whole difference between how the the fixed mindset and the growth mindset and how a lot of people he feels like in the church don't come to grow. They just come to, you know, be have their yeah. whatever they already believe confirmed or whatever they're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. Raised. That's why they come to church. Um, but, you know, I think that the true and I, I know, again, I know it's easier for me to say this because I'm not a pastor, but I think the true mark of a good pastor or a great pastor or like a, a true pastor, a true shepherd is not to measure by how many members of a church you have, but how many disciples you're actually producing. And I think mm -hmm. that's a big difference. You know, if you're going to measure the success of a pastor based on the size of the church and how many members you have, that's going to that's gonna look like a very different pastoral ministry than the pastor who's yeah. trying to create active Christian Christ disciples. And I, 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 I mean, it, it's one's easier in some sense than the other, yep. but um, I think we just really need to change the standard for what we considered a good pastor, you know, and not measure yes. by the numbers. Yeah. And you know, so you said so many things, I don't know if I can kind of recap, but I mean, at <laughs> yeah, the end of the day, close now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I think what Sue was saying is that, you know, uh, and and I and I said it too in this podcast. Like, if God's called you to do something, and then you quit whatever that thing He's called you to do without getting a reassignment from Him, then what is that? Hmm. You know, at the end of the day, and maybe God hadn't called you to that. And so I think you're saying that there are a lot of pastors who aren't called, and maybe this pastor who wrote this article wasn't, and that's why he was able to quit. You know, without getting a reassignment from God. Or maybe God. he'll come back. Right. Maybe he'll come back. But at the end of the day, you know, I hope that he will get some emotional healing. Because I think mm. a lot of these decisions have been made out of based upon his wounds and him feeling inadequate, feeling like probably he's not a good leader. And that's all reality. Every pastor struggles with that. And because uh, we always compare ourselves to the Craig Rochelle's, to the Andy Stanley's yeah. and to the yeah. old, those people. And we're not called to be like that. You know, mm -hmm. very few people have a gift set to do that. 
that's fine. We're called to be the person we are. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would just say is in what you said is that, um, oh, and I lost my thought. I exactly, I (laughs) completely forgot. Oh, when he talked about his preaching and all that kind of stuff that, you know, they don't come to get their minds changed. Of course they don't, because if their hearts are not being impacted, they're not going to change what they think. Right. And so he's approaching it wrong. He's like, let me try to impact and transform what they think. No, you, people are not going to change what Mm. they think until you impact their hearts. And that's That's the biggest thing. That's to how you impact people's decision because everyone knows who smokes. Everyone knows that if you smoke, you could potentially, you'll, you'll die early, you'll get cancer. Everyone knows that with their minds. But the people who smoke, they still don't stop. The only way to help them to stop is somehow their hearts have to be transformed. They have to realize that the reality of that in order for their minds to finally get it and say, okay, now I'm going to change my behavior. So changing behavior requires a heart change, not a mind change in some ways. And so mm. I do hope that uh, he gets some help. I do hope if you're listening today that you would stay faithful to your calling, whatever it might be. But if you're a pastor and God has called you to be a pastor, stay faithful to it. And if you have any thoughts, any questions that you might have regarding the things that have been said, you, you can disagree with us for free. You can comment on the social media post that we'll have up, but you could also send us an email. It's all at weekpastor.org. You can send Sue or myself an email Love to hear your thoughts about this. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye.